Welcome to Next in Q, the podcast for contact center and customer experience professionals. Next in Q is brought to you by Happy Two, your service team's personal coach, giving them the process, resources, and insights to deliver the perfect customer experience over the phone. Learn more at happitu.com. Now, here's your host, Rob Dwyer. Thank you, everyone. My name is Rob Dwyer, and joining me today, I have the extreme pleasure of having the service delivery manager from Nimble, Chad Molin, on the show. Chad, how are you? Doing great. Glad to be here. So not only are you a fellow bearded brethren, uh, but you and I have something even more in common. Yeah. Yeah. So we both grew up in the same town, went to the same high school, just, just a year apart. Yeah. Small little town of Augusta, Kansas. It is, and, uh, it is a small little town. Reconnected, what, a couple months ago? And um, just yeah. it's great. You know, it seems like when you grow up in a small town, you just can pick right back up and it's like you never missed any time. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we, we had to spend some time catching up. I, we did. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, so you started, uh, uh, well, let me ask you, first of all, kind of what, where you got started in your, your kind of customer experience journey. I think I know what that is by going off of LinkedIn, but, but I've, <laughs> I've quickly found in this process of, of meeting people and talking to them that uh, often there's a lot missing off of their LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, you know, we, we grew up in a small town and I think for me, like it, it began way back working at, at Dylan's, uh, a, a Kroger uh, store um, and, you know, having relationships with all these people. I mean, I, everybody knew me in town and, and I knew them because I either took their groceries out or I knew their kids or something. Um, and so I think for me, like my, my journey on what service should look like and, and how that experience should be, I think started way back then. Um, but then, you know, I realized like my parents didn't have a, a college fund set up for me. So when I graduated from high school, it was like, uh, you need to get a job. And if you want to go to school, that's great. But you know, it's going to be on your dime. Um, so I actually started working at, at a plant, uh, aircraft plant called Beechcraft, um, right out of high school. And uh, I actually was the fourth generation of my family to work at that plant. So there was some really cool, you know, historical basis for, for working there. Um, and I kind of, I, I figured out that, hey, I could use tuition reimbursement and go to school at night. And, uh, and work and get experience at the same time. So through some really, you know, very interesting uh, situations, I like, I think I, when I, went, I actually turned 18, I became a crew chief of a crew of like 20 people in a shop making wire, uh, wiring harnesses. And basically everybody that reported to me was way older than I was and thought that I was an idiot. Um, and then once I finished my degree, 
I started working uh, over on the spare side. So I moved from the union side to the dark side of, of salaried folks <laughs> and, uh, and started working, selling spares, uh, spare parts for airplanes. So that was a really cool experience. And I think for me, like probably one of the biggest foundations of, you know, how I developed customer service. Cause at the end of the day, we would get um, a variety of people, including people that own their own airplanes that like to work on them themselves. And so in a lot of cases, you're talking with either very wealthy people or people that are you know, definitely used to having things their way. And money in a lot of cases wasn't, an, wasn't you know, something that they were that concerned about. So that to me was kind of like a good setting for what customer experience should look like. Yeah. So for for those who are listening and, and watching that aren't from where we're from, I should clarify that that Beechcraft is now called Raytheon. Uh, but everybody, I think, of our generation who grew up in that area, like we will always think of it as Beechcraft. That's just um that's the name that that sticks for us. And that I'll is it, I'll take it a step further. Not only are they not owned by Raytheon anymore, but they're actually owned by Textron, which is the owner of Cessna. So what used to be a bitter rivalry on either <laughs> side of town for small uh, general aviation aircraft, they're now the same company, which is really yeah. Odd. Yeah, it's I, I think for those of us that grew up in that area, the the um, connections with the aviation industry run really, really deep because I think everybody had a, a family member, whether it was a really close family member or maybe a distant family member that worked at you know, yeah. one of the big three or four companies in town that were involved in aviation uh, in Wichita. Um, and that included at the time, you know, Boeing, Cessna, Beechcraft, and, and then there are some some parts manufacturers there as well. So and there's a lot. Actually. Oh yeah. And Learjet. Yeah. And believe it or not, this is kind of sad, but uh, I think it was two weeks ago. They, they basically celebrated the last Learjet rolling off the line. Oh, so Learjet as an actual brand is not, not, uh, not around anymore. Wow. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. I, I haven't been keeping up, but you clearly. Have. I mean, I'm not even in Kansas anymore, but I don't. It runs in my blood, like you say. Yeah, you never really can get totally away from it. So, yeah, yeah. I, even uh, you mentioned another company, and so uh, uh, you did a little bit of a clarification there. But Dylan's was a, a a grocery store, right? It had its roots in in Kansas. It was eventually acquired by Kroger. Yeah. Kroger has this thing that they do when they acquire uh, other brands, they keep the brand name. So there are a lot of different brand names yeah. underneath Kroger. Why do I know this? Because I also worked at a Dillon's and I worked at a, a quick shop, which was a convenience store that was also a, a Kroger brand when I was in college. Um, and so I know exactly what you're talking about when it comes to that customer service mentality. When you work for uh, those retail places, you really get a, a good foundation of service if you're working in the right places. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, I mean, anything from the practical, like, you know, the rights and wrongs of how to sack up somebody's groceries to, um, yeah. you know, striking up conversations on the way out to the car and all those kinds of things. Yeah. 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 This These were the days when, number one, uh, paper bags were probably more common than yeah. plastic yeah. bags. <laughs> Kind of Which are a heck of a lot easier. Those are a heck of a lot easier to stack than these flimsy little bags that we have now. <laughs> they are. They are. And certainly, um, I don't know if all places were like this because you know I, I I grew up the same place you grew up. But yeah, the the depending on who you were, right? The person that was bagging your groceries would even take them out to your car and load them for you, particularly if you happen to be elderly. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that happened everywhere, but it certainly happened at our little Dylan's that, that I do know. Absolutely. And I, there'd always be people that really were definitely backwoods that would only come into town like once a month or so. And, uh, I, I'd enjoy <laughs> bagging up their stuff and taking it out to their car and yeah, catching up and all that. So, yeah. Yeah. Very, very fun, uh, trip down memory lane there. So you spent a lot of time at Raytheon and did a lot of different things. So tell us a little bit about sure, that sure. progression because you didn't, you certainly didn't stay in one spot there. No, no. It, it seemed like, I think once I got my degree, it was kind of every two years I was doing something different, but typically I stayed. So, I mean, the first part of my, my time there was in production, producing things and, uh, so I, like I said, I, so the funny story is, you know, as a union shop, um, they were having a second shift open up for a crew chief position. They call them, they're basically like a supervisor now, but, um, you know, usually that's done by like a seniority list. It's not really done by go in and, and interview and you pick the best person. It's done by seniority. So, you know, it's kind of funny because all these people on these, on this first shift thought, there's no way I would go to second shift. I would probably die there. And so I was literally like maybe five or six from the bottom of the seniority list. And they called me up and they said, Hey, do you want to come be a, a crew chief on second shift? Um, so, you know, even though it wasn't like, like uh, facing like the public or a customer, the one thing that I really learned a lot is just, you know, taking care of people and, um, you know, I had a guy that literally he was 76 years old. He didn't have to work because he'd worked for 40 ish years and had probably an unbelievable pension. But his daughter had diabetes and she had to have her legs amputated. And so he was going to continue to work and take care of her. And I swear, like, I think for me, besides growing up in Augusta and kind of out in the country, um, working with people that um, had like an amazing work ethic uh, really, you know, developed for me what what my work ethic should be. And this guy would work circles around everybody in the shop and just had like the most amazing like servant kind of attitude where, you know, if he if he he would never be standing around, he'd always be moving around and things like that. Um, so it was a good transition for me once I went to school and got my degree to transition over to spare sales and pretty quickly, I mean, basically I was like a CSR. So I was selling stuff. Um, so it was a little bit of order management and then just kind of answering questions for customers. Um, 
and I got into that. We had a new VP start for us and he came from Walmart, the youngest VP that they'd ever had before. And the guy was on fire. Like he, uh, I remember he came at like five o'clock one night when I was just finish, finishing up a call. He had been like leaning over my cubicle and listening to the phone call. And he said, you know, you really get some strange calls uh, later in the day, don't you? And I turned around and I'm like, uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> and that turned into, you know, a long discussion about service and, and why he, he changed completely different industry. Um, and what happened out of that eventually was that um, we, we put a big effort on CRM. So CRM was kind of like at its infancy then. And Siebel was kind of the top, kind of the best of breed. I don't know if you remember Siebel. Wow. Um, I haven't heard that name in a long yeah. time. Um, which it's just funny to me because I don't know how they made it to the top other than, you know, maybe there were a lot, a lot of large companies that had enough people to really admin the, the program, but it wasn't that easy to, to administrate and set up. Um, but that kind of started my journey on CRM. So um, kind of working through that, doing training and development and stuff. That's another thing I'm super passionate about is just you can have the best systems and, and things in the world. But if you don't have people that are trained appropriately that, you know, understand the products that they're supporting, um, you know, you're going to fall flat. Um, so to me, that really kind of started my my life passion with customer service and training and, and really people development are the big three things that I, I love to do. Yeah, it strikes me. And I think that this is something that leaders can all learn for both uh, in their own organizations, but even more when you go into a new organization. And that is the time you spend like really digging into what's really happening with that customer relationship and yeah. what's going on there. So that to have that VP leaning over and listening to a call when he probably could have been doing a lot of other things and no one would have questioned it says a lot to me about him really wanting to understand like what's really yeah. going on here so that I can learn this business because come from Walmart, like that's a very different business. Absolutely. Very different. Well, and he primarily was in IT as well on the, on the Walmart side. So not even really on the service side at all. The thing that I really appreciated about him the most was he, he took that to the nth degree where he would literally get up at like four or five in the morning, go to the, um, the flying club and he would fly to get his personal pilot's license because he was intent on understanding what it was like to be a pilot and to to translate that into the kind of service that we delivered to customers so I, I love that and to this day I mean he actually he rose all the way up to like president of Boeing um, aviation services which is basically like the service arm of Boeing um, and he's doing consulting and stuff now, but um, he was one of those people that, you know, beyond like the service side, he also was like, I don't know if you've ever worked for somebody that, you know, they would say, we're going to do this. And your first thought was like, this guy is crazy. You know, like, 
like he was, there was no questioning. We were going to hit the quarter. We were going to do this thing or whatever. And we did it every time. And that, that really impacted me that, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of what you accomplish has to do with your tenacity and ability to motivate people in the right direction. Yeah. When you say that, I immediately have one person that comes into my mind and, and Dean, if you're listening, you were this person and I don't think I've told you this. So, uh, Dean Griss, who I worked with, uh, really for a pretty short time, but I remember he was, he would absolutely challenge, challenge me and say, I, what he really wanted was right for us to have confidence that we could do something that maybe we didn't think we can do, but also think outside the box and come up with alternate yeah. solutions. Um, and, and I learned a lot in that, in that sometimes it made me very uncomfortable because I was like, eh, I don't know, that's not going to work. Right. But then when it's like, no, this is what's going to happen. then you just have to figure out how to make it work. Right? Yeah, absolutely. This is well, the direction. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I liked during that time that I had there was um, we did some strategic planning and it was so interesting because we picked a bunch of companies that we wanted to look at and kind of shadow basically their service experience. And it was such a variety of companies. It was Caterpillar. It was Lexus. It was, you know, you don't put aviation, like general aviation, like business jets and that stuff together. But at the end of the day, it's still, you know, people spending money, deciding how they're going to spend their money. And, you know, when, when they're looked as, as the JD power or whatever you want to call it, you know, the top of the top, there's lessons to be learned from those companies. Yeah, absolutely. So that was a really cool experience to go through. Awesome. So you eventually, I mean, you spent a lot of time at Raytheon, but eventually you moved on. Um, so tell us about tell us about the next company that you moved to, which I think eventually led to you relocating to where you are now yeah, in yeah. Colorado. Yeah. So um, I, I I think I had worked. 11 years at Raytheon, I had actually just finished getting my Six Sigma black belt. So for, for those of you that aren't uh, continuous improvement folks, it's, it's not karate. Um, it's, it's actually, uh, you know, a, an improvement methodology with tools and things that it's actually an extremely rigorous process that you have to go through. And then you have to present to business leaders from all over the company and they decide whether you get the pass or not. Um, so I finished that and I was kind of like, you know, um, I actually love that, but I want to use it in the application of service again. So um, I, uh, it, it's so weird because I, I really wasn't like super actively looking, but this, this recruiter calls me one day and she says, I want you to come talk with us. We're a new um, manufacturing company that makes heating and plumbing systems. We just purchased a company in McPherson, Kansas, uh, which is just right along the I-35 corridor um, up towards Salina and, and Topeka. Um, I know you probably have never heard of us before, but we'd really like to talk to you about our customer service department. So um, I ended up coming in, talking to 
um, the, the VP of sales and the VP of ops, who the VP of sales eventually became the CEO um, of a company called Vega. So it was basically a small little um, subdivision of, of a German company uh, that had been around for 115 years. And, uh, you know, at first, like, you know, to me, like everything that every place that I work for, I really need to be passionate about the products or the, the culture and the brand. And so I was I was real leery at first because I just didn't know if I could be passionate about plumbing and heating as, as I am, <laughs> as I was about aircraft. Um, but lo and behold, they they actually brought some innovative um, products to market that had never been here in the U.S. before. Um, basically uh, able to like connect pipes together without any kind of soldering or grooving or any kind of a nasty mechanical process. Um, basically just pressing a fitting onto a, a piece of pipe. Um, so it revolutionized the, the plumbing and heating industry. I mean, it's literally like 60, 70% less time to install than a regular mm -hmm. fitting. So I, I did get actually pretty excited about that. And, uh, but it was interesting because they had just acquired this company and they had a small little headquarter building in, in Boston. So I had to relocate the, anybody that wanted to come from Boston to Wichita, which was not very many people. <laughs> and then there was a customer service team in McPherson for the other company. And we had to basically combine together. And I think one of the biggest challenges that I had relating back to your point about understanding the business um, it was a, a B2B type thing. So it was through distributors. So you don't, you don't ever really talk to the people who are physically installing the products. You talk to, you know, people that have your product as well as 50 other brands in, in their warehouse. Um, so that was an interesting change. And these two companies like were completely different from each other, the way they went to market. Um, one company used outside manufacturers reps. So, basically a, a hired sales team that didn't work for the company. And then the German company was completely like, no, we will only have company salespeople and they will, you know, drink the Kool-Aid and do everything that we want them to do. And they'll drive the same car that has our logo on it and all that fun stuff. So that was really interesting to take both of those cultures, which had a lot of value in, in each one of them and kind of meld them together and, and also recognize from a customer side that customers aren't immediately going to just, you know, come around to, oh, you're this German company now. Because if, especially if you think about the trades, for example, the trades are, are very loyal to products and they, especially here in the U.S., made in, in the USA products. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a challenge to try to, you know, market that correctly and, you know, make people excited about the products and all that. Um, so it was awesome. I think for me, like to learn the marketing side that I'd never really learned as much um, at, at Beechcraft and uh, understand relationships between uh, businesses, uh, distributors and manufacturers and how delicate that is. Um, because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the distributor wants to make money. I mean, they like your product to a certain extent, but if they can find somebody else's product and, and it does the same thing and they can make more money off of it, that's what they're going to do. Um, yeah. So it's, it's very interesting to kind of help balance all of those factors. Um, 
So I spent a good two, two and a half years over the customer service side. And at the time that was part of the ops team. So um, they basically decided to merge the ops and supply chain together and decided that customer service would be better under sales than under supply chain. So with my supply chain experience, I ended up taking kind of a detour over to the supply chain side and did a lot of like, I wouldn't say boring, but like less, you know, interesting things than uh, working in customer service. But I got to learn how things are made, got to buy a lot of super expensive machinery, got to help <laughs> build, build a campus that is now something like I don't know, probably 200 acres or so. Um, if you ever drive on, on 135, you can't mix, miss it when you're going through McPherson. There's three very large buildings that total over a million square feet that's all uh, either manufacturing space or distribution space. Um, and I think for me, again, you know, being I had to be, be very passionate about products that, that my company makes. Um, it was a great, great company to work for, to see that progression, um, you know, massive amounts of growth, you know, a compounded annual growth rate of 10 to 15% um, for probably five or six years straight after wow. the recession. So um, I, that didn't come without its challenges, but, uh, you know, everything's a learning experience and it was definitely exciting to build a customer. So I, I ended up, so how I came to Colorado is um, the company decided to relocate uh, the headquarters, not, not anything else, but the headquarters from Wichita to Broomfield, Colorado. So um, I had a very quick decision to make. Um, I think it was a good decision. I love Colorado. Um, it's definitely more expensive to live here, but, uh, but I love it and there's a lot of great things to do. Um, so we, we packed up the family and came here and I ended up switching back to customer service at the same time. So um, basically I had to start over completely fresh with rebuilding a whole team because, you know, rarely customer service people are, are going to relocate. They just, you know, it just doesn't work out that way. So um, yeah. that was really interesting, but it was a great opportunity to kind of, you know, have a clean slate and, and kind of start over again to a certain extent. So that team is now something like 40, 45 people strong um, and, and doing extremely well. Um, so uh, I'm very happy about the things that I got to do there and, and the time that I spent there 14 years. So um, yeah, probably a little bit more of a lengthy explanation than you needed. But. No, no, that's a, that's a whole career in and of itself. And, you know, when you were talking about that, the, the passion, the thing that struck me was that you were able to transition. Now, granted, you had some existing foundational knowledge and skill set in another area of the business that I'm sure came in handy. But I think when when you really are excited about an organization and kind of the mission and what you're doing, that it makes it a lot easier to make that pivot into something new that maybe you're not super comfortable with and yeah. go, okay, well, I'm going to figure out how to do this. And hopefully you've got some leeway to, to make some missteps along the way if you're not really experienced in it. 
but that's a great way to grow and learn and get a, just a whole different understanding of the way a business operates when you're able to do something like that. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I'm most proud of with that experience is just, I help kind of make uh, bridge the gap between the supply chain people and the salespeople, because I think what the salespeople didn't realize was the fact that all of our distributors that buy products from us are sales or supply chain people. So when they would bring me along on sales calls or different things like that, we'd start, you know, chatting about all these things that have to do with products and manufacturing and distribution. And these guys would just sit back and be like, I have no idea what they're talking about, but they, you know, when you start talking about, Oh, we can save you money, or this is how you organize your warehouse, or you need to be using tools like EDI and, you know, some digitalization kind of things. And they start perking up because it's like, yeah, I could care less about your products. Really. I, I want to make more money. So how can you make more money and help me ship things faster? You know? Yeah. So that was a, that was a really interesting connection that I don't think that had ever been made before. Well, and I think you bring up something that's really important, which is really good salespeople understand the business, not yeah. just the product. They understand the business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that makes that makes a huge difference, right? I mean, really, if you get people that understand the business and can just talk about that and understand what people are trying to achieve, you can put them in sales. And they may go, I'm not a salesperson, but that's that's what it's all about is understanding the problems that you're trying to achieve, understanding how whatever you offer can can do that and being able to develop a relationship with someone that's that's what good salespeople do well it's especially important when you're not you're not selling a commodity product you're selling a product that in some cases was 15 to 20 percent higher than you know a similar product out on the market you you there's so many other factors that you got to pull in and have a have talk you know talking about that you know really helps them see the full picture because if they only look at this fitting costs $200. That's kind of a non-starter with that. You know, I can get a fitting that I solder for 50 bucks less, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's, that's the thing, right? I have to, I have to show you what the actual value is, not the face value, but, but what's the, what's the downstream value? What do I get for that extra $50? And yeah. Once you understand that, if there really is a good value proposition, well, then it just sells itself. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I always told those guys, like, I should get a little portion of your bonus because yeah. I'm helping you sell and you don't have to do a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. They should but it have was just good. It was sales. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was good because I did realize, like, I don't know, you know, sometimes people think sales and they think like, you know car salesman kind of, you know, mentality and stuff. And, you know, some I've, I've met so many salespeople that are some of the hardest working people that I've ever seen, um, you know, getting up at like four or five in the morning, driving three or four hours during the day to different places, um, sometimes having doors shut on them, you know, time and time again. So um, I, I not only respect salespeople more, but I also consider myself a salesperson now because, Ultimately, like you said, 
no matter where you work in a company, you're, you're selling that company to somebody, whether it's a, a customer or it's a, a potential person that might want to be hired by that company or just in general, like giving goodwill to the community and stuff. It's important to sell, sell yourself and sell the, co the company, you know? Yeah, 100%. So eventually uh, you even left that career, right? And it's almost like two separate careers you've had now. So uh, and that's assuming that we don't count Dylan's. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then you ended up at Nimble. So tell us, tell us about Nimble and kind of what you're doing today. So I pretty much have been using uh, SAP, which uh, you know probably anybody that works in a corporate world for any size, medium to large size company probably has, has heard of SAP, probably uses SAP, um, but it's, it's the leading ERP system that's out there. Um, and I, I used it way back when Beechcraft, I, I'm sure you remember the big, uh, you know, 99, 1999, you know, Y2K thing, you know? Oh, yeah. They, they I think everyone remembers that it's at <laughs> yeah, least of a certain yeah. age. I mean, they they bought that hook, line, and sinker. It was like, we're on like basically an IBM mainframe. What's going to happen? We need to look at, you know, what, what we need to do. And SAP was the fit for them. So, um, I was, a, I was involved a little bit at the beginning, but ultimately I, I ended up using that for, cause also Vega, the company that I, the German company I'd worked for, they were, they used SAP as well. Um, and I implemented kind of part of it. So, um, basically I kind of was looking for, you know, I'm in Denver now. Denver is a, is a fairly large tech hub, um, a lot of startups and things like that. And so, um, I really wanted to get into tech and, and see what that was like. And so um, I happened to establish a really good relationship with the company that um, they basically made a bolt-on for SAP. And this guy knew of a, a consulting firm here in Denver that was like a startup, and they had an opening for a service delivery manager. Um, so a service delivery manager... Basically, I, you know, it's kind of like if you've ever seen office space and, and, you know, they're interviewing the guy and they say, you know, what is it exactly that you do here? <laughs> I'm the guy that talks to the really smart people and make sure things get done and that we get them taken care of. So I kind of work on the, they call it application managed services, but basically instead of a company like hiring and staffing a large SAP support team they basically hire us to do that. So they may have, you know, they may have a couple people in their IT department that are SAP people, but then we basically have a service agreement with them that uh, they buy, you know, service from us every month. Um, so I track it, whether it's based on the tickets that they submit or hours that they pay for. Um, I meet with them. I make sure that, you know, we take care of their tickets in a timely manner, that we're consuming the hours that they bought um, and everything in between. So I think one of the first things that I learned is, uh, and ultimately I think this is probably a good thing in life in general, but I don't ever get too comfortable where you're at because then you stop learning. Um, yeah. sometimes you got to throw yourself in, in the mix of something completely different and just try to sink or swim, you know, 
it, it's good for you. It's, it's stressful, but it's good for you in the long run. Um, I thought I knew SAP, but I barely didn't know anything. Um, so it's been a year and a half of like being probably the quietest person in the room listening. Um, but the service kicks in, you know, because it doesn't matter what, I mean, my product now is service period, like pure and simple. So, um, you know, it, 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 we hinge on getting their problems taken care of, or if they have enhancements or, you know, all, they need consulting advice on, Hey, you know, what we, should we do? Should we upgrade this or should we, you know, re redesign this process or whatever? Um, at the end of the day, it all comes down to service. So, um, that's what I've been doing. And then also I had another gift, um, about halfway through my time here. Um, my boss uh, or our uh, IT manager quit and all of a sudden my boss is saying, Hey, we'd like you to manage the service desk. You've, you've done that before. Right. And I'm like, I've managed customer service. Service desk is not exactly the same thing. Um, so I took that on. And then at the same time, that guy was supposed to work with me to implement uh, Jira, which is our ITSM solution. And I ended up kind of doing it myself with some help from another internal person. And then I hired a guy from the outside. But um, so it's been a year and a half of, of a lot of learning and uh, a, a lot of, uh, you know, totally different, different thing than I'd done in my past. So like you said, this is kind of my third career since I yeah. graduated. <laughs> a lot of excitement going on in that world. And, and yes, when, you know, wearing those multiple hats and that, I think that's a common theme that when I talk to people that are involved with startups, like all of this, uh, sometimes, right. It's just whoever, <laughs> whoever we think can maybe do this other thing over here. Like we, we just don't have anybody for this, but it needs to be done. And sometimes that just ends up in someone's lap, whether they really are yeah. excited for it or not. But it's a great opportunity then to expand your knowledge base and, and what you know. And, and then you can draw in some, some skills and some knowledge from other things that you've done that can, there's just so much transferability when you're talking about service and and whether that's customer service you know tech support is a little bit different depending on the type of tech support that you're doing but a lot of those same principles transfer over and it's yeah. it's just a how do i tweak this a little bit and how do i how do i achieve maybe something that is better than what we're achieving today yeah, and it's interesting that you bring that up because, um, and I don't say this in a, in a bad way at all, because it, it doesn't matter what industry I've worked in, but um, the, the people with the technical knowledge, they're really good at the hands-on stuff or explaining that hands-on stuff, but, but kind of like the normal everyday, like, this is how you handle a call, this is how you handle a ticket, this is how you do talk to people, uh, those things tend to struggle a little bit, you know? So that's a big challenge. And uh, I mean, ultimately kind of why I'm here too, because at the end of the day, you know, um, I need to help translate sometimes because sometimes things just get lost in translation, you know? 
Yeah, it's all about those different skills and understanding how something works and how to fix it and um, why it's behaving in a specific way is that's a set of skills, right? A lot of it based on experience and and digging in and learning about things, just like how we talk to someone who's frustrated and doesn't understand the jargon and uh, just wants it fixed, but also probably needs to understand what caused that so it doesn't happen again and do all of that in a a nice way that doesn't make them feel stupid. Like that's a whole different set of skills and they don't often come in the same package prepackaged. You do have to like, okay, you've got this side. Let's work on this side now. Yeah. You pay me to fix stuff. I fixed it. I'm on to the next thing, but I want to fix it permanently. Stay around. Let's talk about it. You know, so I've been able to kind of pull in some of my continuous improvement stuff. And, um, you know, to me, when it gets down to it, like I've seen so many like companies tend to, to do system implementations pretty badly. And it doesn't matter whether you hire somebody to do it or you do it internally. You don't think through your processes. You don't think through, um, you know, the change management. Change management is huge. So that's something that I did like right before I left my last company is I went and got a certification in change management. And so I've, I I can't say that I've applied it perfectly all the time, but just being able to size up like, you know, your population of users and, you know, figure out like, where are these people, you know, Um, because people put on a great face and say, Hey, I'll do whatever you want me to boss. And then behind the scenes, they're actively like, how do I shut this freaking thing down? Like, I don't want to do it. And I, none of my coworkers want to do it. Like, you know, we're going to just derail this thing, you know? <laughs> so yeah, you know what? You bring up a really important point. Uh, and this is something that I learned a long time ago, but I think we forget in, in managing change you have to identify those people because they're actually the people that are going to help you the most. Absolutely. The the problem is if you're not bringing them in early and making them almost like a stakeholder so that they can be your champion, they do exactly what you're talking about, which Mm -hmm. is how do I sabotage all of this? Because I want no part of it. And they will absolutely talk to everyone else. And and they typically have like that influence with their yeah. peer group. And so everyone else is thinking the same thing. They're like, oh, we don't want to do this. And and then it's not about, okay, it's it's not a, a software problem or a hardware problem, regardless of what the implementation is, right? It's a change management problem and a people problem. And you didn't address that. You just exactly. said, oh, hey, here's the solution. And they were like, no, I don't want any part of that. <laughs> yeah. And that, I mean, I really learned that the hard way with like CRM um, when we did our first implementation, because I mean, you can lead a horse to water, but it won't always drink, you know? Um, and so if you don't really spend a lot of time and messaging, you know, what's changing and why, because at the time, like, you know, with ERP systems, it's a little bit easier because that's how you do business. Like, if you take an order, you got to do an order in the system. You can't write it up on a tablet or something like that, you know, but when it comes to CRM, it's like, 
oh, well, maybe this is an optional thing because I don't have to document that call or I don't have to do this or that. Um, and I think, you know, that also leads to, I think, a huge gap in CRM in general from a, a philosophical standpoint. Like companies, they, it's crazy. They, they employ all these things like HubSpot and all these like very complicated marketing programs. But the dumb thing is you have your customer base calling you on a regular basis for a myriad of different things throwing out keywords and hints and all this kind of stuff about opportunities, you know, and they completely just blow that away because they don't think like, well, yeah, I mean, we're taking care of customers, but we're not looking for sales opportunities, you know? Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot of lessons learned there that I've definitely encountered. Yeah. And there are so many sales opportunities during those phone calls. Yeah. So yeah. many opportunities, but if you don't know, and, and that is one of the challenges if you're just using a CRM, is that it doesn't actually capture everything that's happening on that phone call. It captures what, what that person chooses to, to say yeah. happened on that phone call. And if you actually understand what's what's truly happening on all of your phone calls that can really change your perception on, on how you can do things. So yeah. really interesting perspective there. Yeah. Well, Chad, man, it's been so great to catch up with you again. I, uh, you are, uh, my, my first, not only Kansas born guest, really, but my first guest from from the hometown and wow, that's, so that's an it's honor really exciting I appreciate that <laughs> i don't bring on just anyone i'm picky <laughs> on this show <laughs> well i appreciate the opportunity and I, I it was really great to reconnect with you a couple months ago and i i feel like i could probably talk to you for many hours more but uh definitely appreciate the opportunity to talk about something i'm very passionate about so well, I appreciate you taking the time, and I know that uh, there's there's a whole town that's probably um, going to spike my my listenership um, if just for one episode. So I hope so. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> well, Chad, I appreciate it. Have a great afternoon. Thank you, sir.